Top of the day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. I'm your host, Nisha, and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host. Who the badass? And you know what I realized? This episode is actually going to drop on 420. Hey, that is a great day, especially for our Canadian listeners. Yeah, so happy 420 to all of my potheads out there. Isn't this so great? Don't call them potheads. That that is discriminatory. Is it? It's okay. drug... Uh, drug cyst. I didn't know that because okay, so because I know everything has to be politically correct now. So what do they call? They don't say you can't say potheads no more now because they're not potheads. Okay. Pothead is a derogatory term to make you look like you're one of those guys from How High or something oh, like that like, or the Dave see, Chappelle movie. See, we can't say anything anymore. So what do we call? But there's whole doctors that be doing marijuana now, man. Right. So, so, so he's not a pothead. Okay. So what do it's we just, call him? To the smokers. To the smokers. Let's say, and I apologize. I had no idea. Every fucking thing. And get you in trouble now because that can be canceled. Mm. I say a potty. I hope it do, and then they replace you, <laughs> and they just have me reading everything. Oh, that's fucked up. And responding to myself like this is gonna be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is happy four twenty to all my smokers. When was there. a whole newscaster? Remember that woman that was a news caster and she was on the news and they started talking about. They was uh, striking down this 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 marijuana warehouse, and she had to leave because it was her place. Oh, I don't remember that. But yeah, remember man, that. like That's not, a funny they're shit. not potheads, man. They don't look crazy like that. Okay, well, I apologize for that, you guys, smokers, mm-hmm. smokers. <laughs> well, we have a good case today. Okay. Um, this case is another one that kind of divided the country and or divided the world because this one there's no doubt that Riley did kill his girlfriend. However, the reasoning is as to why he did it. So I'll get into that. But that's what another one. It seems like we're getting these ones that's just dividing everybody. I think you like the death the division. Yeah, because then I get to find out what you think at the end of this, and that's the most exciting part. Oh, is that? Is yeah. that? I thought you're just trying to get us killed. <laughs> trying to have someone hate our guts enough to where you be. Like you know what we found out the announcers from the, from true from the true crime edition of hot garbage <laughs> one of them was stabbed fifty seven times. Which one of us would, would it be? That got I'm stabbed. hoping it's you. you know, I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wish for my own death here. Oh, well, that's so about if it, was, if it was a choice, it'd be you. But you know. <laughs> And I'd mourn, you know, and I'd bust a, a taken and what have you. And I'd have a certain set of skills. And I'd come out and call my friends, you know. Some of them knows how to throw up the west side. And we'd go out and find them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to get into the case. So we're going to start off talking about the victim a little bit. So Emma Walker, she was born March 20th, 2000 to Jill and Mark Walker. And she started her freshman year at Central High in Knoxville, Tennessee. And she joined the cheerleading squad, which was her passion. Isn't that wonderful? We love cheerleaders. I mean, you do. Yeah. I, that sounds creepy for me to just start talking about I love cheerleaders. Well, <laughs> I can say it. my daughter's a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader. So, yeah. We just you got to sell me pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, she loved cheerleading. She loved going to the football games. And she also loved to read a lot, too. And if anyone, I'll post the pictures. But she was a very pretty girl. Very pretty. Very petite. Like, she was like a petite little girl. She was just very cute, you know? And because she immediately caught the eye of William Riley Gall. So, everybody, for this, as the sake of this, I'm going to call him Riley. But his name is William Riley Gall. Everybody called him Riley. Okay. And he was a junior. So, she was a freshman. He was a junior. And he was a wide receiver on the football team. So Riley was a top student and raised by his mom and his grandparents. 
He also, you know, he had a nerdy side and everyone said that he wasn't the typical jock. He actually, you know, was kind of the quiet boy next door kind when he wasn't playing football. Those are the guys that become successful. You'd be surprised how educated football players are. Yeah. Well, we'll see if he's going to be successful or not. <laughs> well, he's going to be successful or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so... You know, Emma's mom and dad, they really liked Riley at first. You know, they were he was they were allowed to go out on little dates. They thought he was a super nice guy. He was like the boy next door. And they had supervised visits at the house as well. Now, Emma's friends thought that she was really happy with Riley. And she always posted pics on social media. And she always said, you know, there was one of them that she posted. And she would say, look how lucky I am. You know what I mean? And they would always post these, like, goofy pictures together and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Fun stuff. And one of um, one of Emma's best friends named Keegan Lyle, she was just like, you know, the relationship was just normal, you know, normal teenage stuff, you know? Now, Riley, she thought that it started getting weird because Riley didn't really talk to them a lot, you know, her friends a lot. And everybody thought, oh, he's just shy, you know, it just seemed normal. But then after a minute, people started getting concerned because it became some of the things where it was like, he always wanted her to spend time with him. And she, he started kind of getting her away from her friends and family a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. So friends said that they were also concerned because it became apparent to many of them that Riley did not want Emma to hang out with anybody but him at all. He became very controlling over her. He controlled what she did, her activities. He even started kind of talking about the things that she wore that he didn't like. He got very possessive, he got clingy, and he wouldn't let her do certain things. And this is what one of her other friends named Lauren Hutton is said, saying. Was he a Latino husband? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly you, Now you're going to get us canceled. Yes, what we are. They, all of Mexico's over now. <laughs> now, over the next two years, Riley and Emma seemed to, you know, they became a, the classic high school couple you know they were always kind of breaking up getting back together and their friends described them as really dramatic they had really dramatic arguments all the time and so most of the time it was over snap i mean text messages or snapchat i be feeling like you don't be trying to let me see this stuff i be trying to read it and you be trying to hide it <laughs> oh my gosh i'm trying to hide information like am i trying to gatekeep now you just trying to make it keeps the suspense to yourself. Yeah, you, that's what you asked for. You always tell me don't kill the story. I do tell you, do not kill yeah. the story. Yeah. Now, Jill Walker, which is Emma's mother, said that Riley would always comment on what her daughter wore. And that really, like, started to bother her. He would tell her that, you know, she shouldn't wear certain things. And so she started getting concerned. And she told Emma, you know, that she really shouldn't see him anymore. Because it just started getting out of concern, kind of. Now out of that control. is oddly interesting. Now, you know that there's a problem when the mother is like, "Hey, I think she's dressed fine." Right. So, so I mean, that's a no-win situation. If the mom says she looks good, I don't care if she's in hoochie coochie shorts and stars over her nipples. Mm -hmm. If the mom says it's good, then you can't really argue that after that. Right. At that point, right. So then Emma's friend Lauren Hutton said things became intense between the couple. And it got to the point where Emma had a little job at a grocery store and Riley just started waiting outside of the supermarket where she worked. And he would just wait outside for hours for her they to come would. outside. Gotta make sure she gets home safe and gets to lunch safe too. <laughs> so, what, what is his job? Let, let's him do this. 
Well, it was uh, her job. It was at a supermarket. What is his job? I, I'm assuming that you sitting have for hours right. outside somebody else's job. Yeah, I'm assuming he didn't have a job. That's how there's... so many people get away with cheating because the other person got to get some money. Right. The other person. <laughs> 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 no, that was some funny stuff. Now, so basically, a lot of friends was telling Emma that they didn't like the way Riley treated her, and she kind of just brushed it off, you know what I mean? And she was just like, it's fine, you know? According to Emma's friends, though, Riley became aggressive. He started sending her the following Snapchat messages, and these messages said, I hate you. I hate everything about you. You're the biggest bitch I've ever come in contact with. Now, this is messages while they were still together? Yeah. So he'd mm-hmm. say, I hate you, the biggest bitch, and then he'd kiss her in the, uh, when she get off work. Yeah. Like, as he texts and sitting in the car. And she'd come out and be like, baby, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. I was just tripping, baby. You know I be loving you. I be going through my things. Uh, and, just, and then a text come in, you dumbass bitch. Uh, like, you still texting it. Yeah. You still texting me that stuff. Be like, I, I told you I have a problem. <laughs> that's how it sounds like it was happening. Because that's the only way that I'd come outside. I'd have to know that you psychologically got something wrong with you. You just random send those right, things. Right, it's like a doctor. For me to Jack come outside of my car. Right? Yeah, for me to come outside of my car and we still fucking with each other. Yeah. Well, and, but they were on and off, mm. but I think they were on at this point. <laughs> That's why I'm like, that. you still on and these stands, stuff like that to you? How you, you still on? Yeah. Huh. And well, the, the last, this other text message said, you're dead to me. I'll check the obituary. Fuck you. That's what he wrote. I mean, while sitting in the car in, your par- in the parking lot to your job. <laughs> That's what I'm like, like, this is, this is interesting. Yeah. Now, that, 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 um, for them, for the whole dynamic of the fact that you're still in this relationship and then you walked out and what did y'all say when you got in the car after you're dead to me, you dumb asshole? Like, like <laughs> what do you say after that? Do y'all just go make love, have makeup sex? I don't know what happens after that. <laughs> now, Emma's parents, uh, Jill <laughs> was the main one that said... Yo, you only go into some of my theories. I have some theories. Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Now, Jill Walker, Emma's mom, actually started, you know, looking at her phone and looking at her text messages and started looking at, you know, her messages on social media and she did not like what she saw. So she said, especially the ones about you're dead to me. So she started questioning him. The mom questioned him about it. He said, I was just angry. And she said, that's when she really started to get a lot of red flags again behind him. So at this point, Emma's parents decided to ban Riley from their home and they took away her cell phone to stop the teens from communicating, but it didn't work. So what Riley did was after her parents took well, her Well, they phone, go to the same school. Right. So that's that. there's that. But Riley actually gave Emma an iPod touch so that she could text him through Wi-Fi after her phone got taken. So at that point, Emma's friend Seth Armstrong said for every nasty message that Riley sent Emma, there was a quick apology. Emma, I'm sorry for however I act, one message said. And then the other one said, I love you more than words can describe. So he... And then the next one said, I'll stab you 12 times, bitch. Yeah, so it's kind of what you were saying. It's like a whole back and forth thing. like. Right, that's why I'm like, do you just take that as a glitch? Like, oh, he just meant that as a side comment. <laughs> yeah. Right, now Jill Walker said that she advised her daughter to break up with Riley for good. And she told her that several times. But she was like... The more you do that with a teenager, the more you butt heads and the more you think that, you know, she's going to think that he's in the right. So basically she was scared to really say anything because as you know, I think we talked about in other cases, it kind of pushes your child more for a that female person. child. Yeah. Yes. It's good. So she was like, I don't know. The like, boys, you can tell them like, no, that's a crazy. This chick is going to kill you. They'd be like, all right, dad. Yeah. And stop. Girls, they'd be like, you just got to be wrong. Yeah. And I, you just don't want me to be happy. Yeah, that's a hard situation. And go situation out there and get stabbed either. 20 times. Yeah. 
that's a hard situation to be in because you don't want to push that person, you know, mm-hmm. closer. So I don't know what to do in that situation. So it's, it's a hard place. You gonna get the she gonna get stabbed or you gonna get stabbed. That's the two high probabilities. Yeah, it seems what like I'm that's, from the, your cases. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The teenager stuff that we go over, it is always the mom either gets stabbed. Yep, the mom either get killed or the teenager get killed. Yep. Just one of the two. Something's gonna happen. So look out. That's what I'm saying. This is this is your future. Yeah. Now, Riley always had a way of isolating her and making her think that he was the only one that cared about her. Now, by fall of 2016, Emma and Riley were still dating. But Riley had graduated, and he was 18 years old, and he was a freshman at a nearby college by then. And and Emma was in her junior year of high school, but their relationship continued despite her parents' attempts to keep them apart. So around Halloween that year... I mean, let's not make it seem like he is a mastermind getter of the girl. (laughs) She's still contacting him. I mean, even with with college-level type of stuff, you're still contacting him. Mm -hmm. You're putting forth effort Mm -hmm. when your parents have, like, a restriction notice, changing phones, all this stuff. You're putting conscious effort in to contacting this person Yeah, she's still contacting him through Wi-Fi. So so they still found other ways. Let's not make it seem like, you know, he's this mastermind girl manipulator. (laughs) Now, around Halloween that year, uh, Emma's parents decided to ground her at that point. She was not allowed to leave the house except to go to school and cheerleading practice. They started monitoring her everywhere she went, and to their surprise, it actually seemed to work. So it was like she became more like her old self again. You know, her father, her father, Mark, said that, you know, she became herself again. She started more like socializing with them. She would actually come out of the room and eat dinner with them. So things was really good because she was officially grounded and she couldn't see him no more. Emma even texted her friend Keegan to say that her and Riley were over for good. Like she decided that she just was not going to do that no more with him. And she said she came to the realization that she deserved better. And then everybody was like, yes, it's finally happening. You know, they said, this is what we've all been waiting for. But however, Riley did not take the breakup well. While in his college dorm room, he swallowed a bunch of Vicodin pills and he washed them down with alcohol in an attempt to commit suicide. Vicodin? Mm-hmm. So he's going to die hard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce no. Willis? Wait a minute. I think that's Viagra. The okay. Viagra. <laughs> I was like, wait I a minute. Wait, I was thinking, I was like, you're right. Because can you overdose on Viagra, though? I, I mean, I, you can get your stuff too hard and it don't go down for hours. <laughs> that, is that bad? That's not bad. No, right? I, I've heard it, like, it gets like gangrenous and stuff <laughs> like the circulation won't happen. They at the end of dinner cutting it off. But that's if you don't have nobody to take care of it, right? Like no, you, even after it, what? even after it, because it's just it's just the, running it through the system. So oh. you can you can you can uh, finish the job and st- it's still going. Oh, it's still going. No, no, no. <laughs> like for most women, they're like, I don't see the problem. But at the hour twelve, oh, that's, no. and they even says it on the, on the side of the bottle, like on the side of the box, like if you still have an erection for more than six to twelve hours. <laughs> Call a doctor. Because after a while, that starts getting painful. It's no. not even, it doesn't feel good after that, after so long. Yeah. Oh, well, thank God he took Vicodin, which is the pain pills. Right, which is what, you know, that, uh, yeah, the, the killer, the, the, the cool kids used to do. But I, you, I got confused for a second. But you know what? Thank God for that education, because somebody out there might have needed to hear that, though, about that Viagra. <laughs> Man, don't overdo it. Now, a lot of his friends started witnessing his mood swings a lot. They said he would be off to the side. He would be moping and saying things like, I just feel so depressed. I want to hurt myself. And these are all coming from Riley's friend named Alex McCarthy. 
And he thought that he was just saying things like a lot as a cry for help, you know. Now, on Friday, November 18, 2016, Emma was allowed to attend a gathering at a friend's house. And this was around 11.30 p.m. that night. Her friend and her classmate, Zach Green, arrived at the house where they would be hanging out. And Emma pulled him to the side. And she told him that she had been receiving some strange text messages from a number she didn't recognize. She said that she was getting these really weird text messages and the text messages kept saying, come outside alone if you don't want to see a loved one get hurt. And then Jeezy she peeps. Yeah. And then she showed her friend her cell phone. And so the other text message said, go to your car with your keys. And then it would say, go alone. And then the other one said, I've got someone you love. If you don't comply, I will hurt them. From a blocked number? From a, Yeah. From a strange number she didn't recognize. Hmm. Now, at that point, her friend told her that, that, um, I mean, <clears throat> Zach told Emma that, you know, Emma thought that it was one of Riley's friends playing a joke on her because it wasn't his number. It was somebody else's number. So she thought she had, that he had somebody playing on her phone, but she texted the number back and threatened to call the police. But at that point, the text messages became even more menacing and horrible. So then why did you call the police? You're right. Well, we'll get to that. So and then another one says, if you'd like to hear his crying and screams, give him a call. That's what one text message said. So at that point, Emma's friend, Zach, said that Emma began begging him for help until eventually he said, you know, Zach, listen, like, we'll just go outside, you know, together and see what's going on. You know, they said. No, so, I don't know. Yeah. This so, is confusing. Yeah. So, so basically, Emma is getting text messages threatening her from a number she doesn't know. Her friend Zach is there and she's confused as to what's going on. She's saying that she's going to call the police. And so she's telling Zach. Zach is a woman? No, Zach is a, a guy. Remember, she's at a party. Right, so but Zach you keep saying, she, and she, okay, go ahead. Go she ahead, is though. Emma. Uh-huh. Yeah, Emma is she. Uh-huh. And so, so basically, Emma then says, Zach, listen, they said they dropped Riley outside. So basically, this number is saying that they have somebody that she loves. And that person is going to get hurt. This is what the number is saying. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, Riley got dropped off outside. Mm -hmm. So basically what happened was he staged a kidnapping. He acted like somebody kidnapped him. Right, uh -huh. yeah. And so... Why do you keep bringing up Zach then? Huh? Why do you keep bringing up Zach then? Zach is her friend. He's next to her. She's the one that... She, so he's, he's just the kind of the witness to yeah. this. Okay. And, and she's talking to him about all this. Okay. She, yeah, she showed Zach the phone. So at that point, Zach and Emma went outside and they found they found Riley laying face down in a ditch near the house. And they could see that it was Riley just like laying there. Uh -huh. And so finally, this is the, what Zach is saying. Now, this is coming from Zach. Zach said we finally got to him and he was pulling up his head, like kind of confused and everything like that. And Emma said, why are you here? And, and then at that point, Riley said, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got here. I've been kidnapped. Somebody dropped me off here. I don't know what's happening. Where am I? How did I get here? And so he was just really confused. So at that point, Emma became very uneasy. And Zach said she didn't really know what to think because the whole thing looked staged. But then she was like, well, maybe he wasn't faking it, you know? So you get what's going on. I right? mean, even if he was or wasn't, why didn't y'all call the cops? Right. <laughs> And, well, at that point, Emma told her, we broke up, so just leave me alone. That's what she told him. That was her response to this. Even when you've been kidnapped? Like, I see you've been kidnapped, beaten, and thrown in a ditch. <laughs> we broke up, though. Yeah. Okay? 
Yeah. I don't know what this is, but breakup is here. <laughs> what? <laughs> Cold-blooded. So, Riley was all sad, and he walked off down the street alone, and then he called his friend Noah Walton and told him that he had been kidnapped that night, but Noah didn't believe him at all. See, that's what I'm saying, is sometimes... <laughs> I, and I've done that with a friend of mine too. They act like they was passing out and trying, not trying to help me move into a house and all yeah. that shit, trying to be lazy. I'll be like, I'm going to call the authorities. Yeah. Okay. They're going to investigate. The, do you want this to keep going? You gonna keep fronting? Okay. Nine one one. Like, yeah. hello, this is nine one one. Yeah. They call, call that it. number. Be like, all right. Well, then let's call this in. Yeah. Call. You've been kidnapped, be- beaten up, and turned into the ditch. I'm gonna act like you were. Yeah. This is what a normal person would do. I'm going to call people. I'm going to put it on Facebook. I'm going to put it on... I'm going to have your picture on blast. Talk about all these people that's been kidnapped. What they look like. Two two giant Mexicans and a black guy. All that shit. Be having pictures out. Yeah. All that. So would you, either you going to keep this up, Punkasaurus. Yeah. Or you going to tell me what's up. Yeah. <laughs> and the further you hold on to it, the, fir- the better you look. I look like an amazing friend. Yeah, because you called the police and did what you were supposed to do. Right. Yeah. Now, Noah was saying that Riley sounded like he had been crying and he sounded tired. And he basically told him that the people knocked him out, took his car, threw him in a van, and he didn't know where he was. He said that Riley told him not to call the police and report the incident, though. He was just like, no, no cops. Don't call the cops. Now, additionally, right. Now, additionally, none of Emma's friends contacted the authorities about the alleged kidnapping that night either. At what point do we like put in her naivete? <laughs> Just saying. You didn't been denied, but your parents are still going and secretly doing it. The motherfucker popping up in a ditch. You act like you don't you don't know and you don't understand. You only talking about the relationship. Not even talking about the kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Not even talking about your threatening messages. Like not not addressing none of that. And this is the second incident that came up before that, mm-hmm. in which he was saying the threatening things of getting and going coming into your car. Like at which point, dude? Honestly, you'd be like, maybe she should be tested. Mm, oh no. Are you but, naive? But we can't we can't victim blame because we're gonna see what's gonna happen. I'm not <laughs> saying it's victim blame. What but, I'm saying is yeah. some of it is. Some it's not it's not blame. Yeah, it's the same thing when your parents tell you to lock your doors at oh, night. Right, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, even to lock your doors to your car, even lock your doors to your house. Yeah, you don't do it. Then you like, don't, and yeah. then somebody walks in your house. Yeah, it's, it's some of that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You know That's, what I mean? Yeah. Like this guy wasn't. He, he didn't have no burglar tools on him. And then you find out he ain't have no tools on him. Yeah. he just got to walk around checking people's doorknobs. Yeah, that happened to like that happened to me with a bunch of cars when I was living in the last house I lived on. Mm. And luckily oh. for me, I'm one of those people that always locks my yeah, doors. Me too. But it was yep. somebody who robbed twelve cars on my oh, block. Everybody on the had neighborhood. Their car it was like just that? that many cars that what? had their cars unlocked. Who does that? The, they, now you see how you now you're like, oh, <laughs> who there, does that? No, don't you victim blame. <laughs> don't you victim blame. <laughs> don't you do it. <laughs> You see how quick it just sounds like they don't even sound like common sense. She said twelve people. I could see yes. one, but oh my gosh! My girl's crazy. sister was one of them. Oh no! In front of my house. Oh. But the people that they were just going around checking people's car doors. Oh my god! Checking their car doors. They didn't have, and that's one of the things that they can get away with crimes and saying that they're not armed burglars or planned out burglary. Uh-huh. They're opportunists in that sense. Yeah. And so you let them do that to you. Well, that so they were saying that some people is like, what is it, crime by crime by opportunity? There's some people that wasn't even setting out to commit a crime, but then they saw it so easy, so they just did it. So they just did yeah. it. Yeah. 
So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're kind of walking him into that, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that, man, this is, wait, watch, this is about to get even crazier right now. So, so basically after that, um, so the next day, so the following mor- morning after the party and everything, Emma, you know, went home, but then she texted her friend saying that a stranger was at her doorstep. And she texted her friends and said, I'm home alone and somebody in all black walked down my street, came to my door and rang the doorbell over and over again. Emma texted and said, I thought I was going to die. She also texted Riley saying, I hate you, but I need you right now. And so, these are these people that, that's listening to this street life stuff. She listens to too much rap music. <laughs> you think you, these people that's in rap got posses and got guys that are guns. And some people don't care if they go to jail or not. Some people got, know how to do the system and, and get their fingerprints off on stuff. Yeah. That's why they don't call the cops because they know that there's going to be retaliation. Yeah. And trust and believe they probably, you know, pay somebody maybe even through weed. There's a couple crackheads that'll work through that. That'll be, that are better than pit bulls. Yeah. This is crazy and just be out there. But they will pay for that assurance. Mm-hmm. You are having these weird things happen mm-hmm. and you ain't even telling your parents or the cops. Why yeah. you didn't tell your parents? Right. That's somebody weird dressed in black because you don't live in your own place? Yeah. <laughs> right, huh? That's because they could be after them. You know, you don't Yeah, right. you don't live in your own place. Somebody weird in black at the door, at the, at the door. Yeah. <laughs> ringing like crazy. One or two, where are your parents? The number two, number three is... Why didn't you inform them that this stuff like this is happening? Right. That's the other thing. Well, so Riley texted her back and said, I'm coming. I'm speeding. Just give me a minute. That's when he texted her back. Cause she said, you know, I need you because there's somebody black. There was somebody in black by the house. Mm-hmm. So when Emma failed to meet up with her mother that morning as planned, Jill returned home and found her daughter and Riley in the front yard. So I guess whatever happened, they were supposed to go somewhere or something like that together and it didn't happen. So when the mom came home, she found Emma and Riley in the front yard. Mm -hmm. And the mother said her first thought is, you're kidding me. He knows he's not allowed here. So I just got out the car and asked him to politely leave. And he said, no, I'm here trying to help. I'm trying to make sure that Emma is okay. And he was trying to talk to her and he just said, and then um, the mother said, you know, you're not allowed. You need to leave. And at that point he did leave. So Emma at that point was shaking and she said that it might have been a burglar or she thought maybe it was a stalker. But Jill, the mom, was like she wasn't convinced. And she told Emma, she said, don't you find it odd that Riley was involved or appeared at both events? So she did end up telling her mom at this point. She told her. Well, no, her mom figured it out yeah, but from she, her stand, from him standing there after she called him. Yeah, but she said both events. So I'm thinking she told her about the kidnapping, too. That's what I'm thinking. Because she said she was at both events. Mm. So that's what I'm thinking. So then Emma just kept saying, no, mom, it wasn't him. And it wasn't him. She said he wouldn't do that. So basically, the mom was like, he's trying to get her attention to talk to him. And she's going too way overboard to do that. That's what the mom said. And so Jill said she was worried and they were, you know, her and her husband was really like watching over her and just, you know, really, you know, worried about her. So on Sunday, they followed her to work. They followed her home just to make sure she was safe. Because at that point, they felt like something was crazy going on with Riley. Well, that and, you know, let me tell you something. I have dated some women and I've told you the story and I have mm-hmm. said some pretty crazy stuff to women. In yeah, you have. I'm surprised you're still alive. Where, there you go. <laughs> Where my own family told me that girl's going to kill you. Yeah. 
they didn't take the extremes of what their family is doing. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, my family didn't start following me around at work and putting yeah. on restrictions on it. It was like, bro, she's going to kill you. And they just kind of left me to know. Yeah. So is it a difference between sex? Uh, is it I that people it, yeah. that people look out more for a girl than they do so. for a boy? Probably because they felt like you're a man, you got it. Like, you know what I mean? But a girl So is that, yeah. is that, is that now a, a global discrimination against women and saying that you guys aren't mentally apt to handle it on your own and men are? I don't know. I really don't freaking know. Because I've had stalker girl. Oh my gosh, I can tell you guys some stories and women's camped out in front of my house for days. That's a whole nother podcast right there. Right, like I've had, and this wasn't just one incident. Yeah. And women sending threatening letters and talking about, and women and women following my my, boy, my my friends and stuff like that. Camped out in front of their houses, asking them questions, sneaking into the stores, sleeping in their cars, peeing in jars. All type of stuff. Yeah. So why is it is it is it easily after men to be like, hey, stay aware, and you're supposed to know that you're aware. Yeah. And then, but it's, I'm listening to these women accounts, and it's like, hey, you know, we what more can you do other than she's just walking into this? I yeah. Because they was always telling me, I, you the fool if you go mess with her. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's seen a thin line between love and hate. Yeah. You saw she was crazy. You kept going there. Yeah. And they tell me that I'm accountable for my actions. So at then at what point are you feline woman or feline suspect? <laughs> <laughs> are you accountable for your actions? See, that's a good question. I would like somebody to like, you know, respond and, and let us know out of the listeners because that is it's a big double standard between and I think we talked about that between if a girl is getting stalked or abused or anything else and a man because we've gone over where men are getting abused and stuff like that too there's a big mm-hmm. double standard there's a huge different yeah. standard mm-hmm. and I've been like I've literally I mean I've been told to my face by my mother who's an ordained priest and my stepfather, who was a deacon, and then a preacher that was a preacher at the church that we was all attending before she got her own church, who looked me in my eyes, who, who was a, who was, a, and my mother has a PhD in psychology, and that one does too, PhDs. Yeah. And my stepfather has a PhD. Uh-huh. Three people with PhDs look me in my eyeballs and like <laughs> she's gonna kill you. Oh gosh, what's well, a good thing that you got out of that because she probably would have killed you. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> and at that, they was like holding me accountable for my actions, like. Yeah. Hey, you need to do something because you need to be accountable for the actions that are about to transpire. Yeah. None of them started stalking and changed my phone numbers and took me and took me to, they even take it to a different school. Yeah. And, you know, and told me not to stop calling and all that. They just told me like flat out, I could tell this man, hey, man, this person's not stable. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so after that, so by Sunday night, things seemed to, you know, kind of go back to normal and the Emma, Emma Walker's household. Emma was texting with her friend Keegan about a homework assignment and then she went to bed a little after midnight that night. Now, a little after 6 o'clock a.m. on Monday, November 21st, 2016, Jill Walker went into her daughter's room, but she couldn't wake her up. She said she kept saying her name. She didn't hear anything. She bumped her leg. She didn't hear anything. And then she looked at her face and realized that, you know, she wasn't breathing. She checked the pulse and she couldn't find anything. So she immediately called 911. Mm-hmm. So at that point, she told the 911 operator, I just try to wake my daughter for school. She's 16 years old and she's non-responsive. So, and Jill was like, you know, of course she was hysterical and crying. So the police was sent to the Walker house 
and Knox County Sheriff Deputy Nikki Bills led the forensic technician on the case. And the call, basically it came in as a possible suicide. That's how the call came in. They wasn't really sure. Mm-hmm. So the, the deputy said when she first got there, she started taking pictures outside the residence. She walked in, she photographed the interior of the residence. Then she walked into the bedroom and she photographed the bedroom and there was a hole in the wall and it was a bullet hole. So at that point, she knew that it was not a suicide. So at that point... That is your favorite phrase at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, another um, another sheriff arrived on scene named Alan Merritt. And he said that he's going to start looking at the outside of the house as well. And he also noticed the bullet hole in the wall that was about sh- uh, shoulder high. That's what he said. And he said it was a very small bullet hole. But he said it was like the size of a ballpoint ink pen. So then he located two shell casings outside the home. So he knew at that point that two shots had been fired. He was walking around outside the home and he found a second bullet hole on a different side of the house at approximately the same height as the first one. So somebody firing in your window. I mean, he had to have silencers in. If your parents don't know that somebody's shooting in your house. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll get to that because there was something heard, but we'll get to that. So Girl, don't tell me I'm over here on my own suspicions. Okay, hold whatever. On. <laughs> he has a silencer assassin. Okay, coming in he... shooting like bombs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's probably had probably had a couple of friends he paid off with with the cartel. Oh my god! I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> but how you don't hear people shooting outside your house? That's all I'm saying. Go ahead. So. And so basically at that point, the news reports went out. Emma Walker, a beautiful and vibrant cheerleader, had been killed by a gunshot wound to the head after two bullets had been fired into her bedroom from outside the family's single-story home. One bullet had hit her behind the left ear and the second had lodged into her pillow. It was by a 9 millimeter handgun. So Riley's grandfather, James Walker, noticed that his 9 millimeter was missing on November 18, 2016. Because what happened was he had drove to the college to switch vehicles with Riley in order to get the tires repaired. And when he drove the vehicle back, he saw that the gun that he kept under his seat was gone. And so at that point, he didn't know like what had happened, but he was he was worried about Riley because he know Riley had been suicidal because of everything that was going on with Emma. Mm. Now back at the at back at Emma's house, the detective got there, and the mom and dad were asked to leave the residence because the whole house was now a crime scene. And well, you let me tell you, you said it's through a wall and no broken windows. Mm-hmm. It was through the wall. Oh, I got some stuff to say. This is like encouragement, in which I was saying before of if you not reporting it because of this type of personality. It's the same thing that when girls. Say they want to mess with somebody that's about that life, or guys that are trying to be thugs, mm-hmm. or even real guys that really are thugs. Mm-hmm. They are. They are. They are, they are let me. Say, I hate the fact that everybody tries to water down. Mm-hmm. Like there's nobody who's really about that life out there, and there's there's guys that's really about that life. Mm-hmm. I've met them. Mm-hmm. I know them. Mm-hmm. I'm good friends with a couple of them. Yeah. They're real. Mm-hmm. They're real. Mm-hmm. Um, they have personalities that you can encourage, and it seems like she encouraged this personality. I don't think he even. I haven't heard the rest. But I don't think he even killed her on purpose. I feel like he was doing some acting out stuff and didn't think he'd hit her because it's through walls. So I think he was trying to scare her on some stuff and they accidentally hit her. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Is what it sounded. Uh-huh. But there's some things that you encourage in people's personalities that saying of acceptors, especially this whole non-reporting of any of these things, that this person feels this is, is acceptable personality with you. And, uh-huh. and you keep messing with them too. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
So, basically, when the police, the police then started interviewing all of Emma Walker's friends, family members, and basically everybody kept giving Riley Gall's name because of their relationship. Everybody kept saying, you need to talk to him because of the way he treated her. And this is what the detective is saying right now. And so basically, Riley, at that point, took to social media to mourn Emma. He posted a series of tweets and a a lengthy Facebook post. And one, he said, rest easy now, sweetheart. I love you forever and always. So what stood out, it says a couple people were saying, what stood out to me from these tweets immediately was the repetitive nature of him saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And this is a reporter. This was a reporter from ABC Knoxville that's saying this. Mm-hmm. Only knowing these the, those posts about him, if you just read that, if you just saw that, you would think that this was an ex-boyfriend who had just lost his first love. That's what you would think if you didn't know him and you just kind of, you know, was looking at these posts. Now, of course, Emma Walker's friends and family were devastated. The night after her death, they had a candlelight vigil at Central High and her fellow cheerleaders released balloons in her memory at that week's Bobcats football game. And Riley's, uh, Riley's friends also became concerned with his well-being because following Emma's death, you know, they told detectives a secret that Riley had shared with his friends, Alex McCarthy, the day after Riley's alleged kidnapping. So his friends, Alex McCarthy said he ended always a secret. Yeah. He ended up telling me that he was so fearful, his, fearful for his life that he had stolen his grandfather's gun and showed it to me. I was very worried. He reassured me over and over again that he was the farthest thing from suicidal. He was just so scared of these people who were out to get him and they they were out to get Emma as well. Girl, don't tell me none of your secrets because I already think you got homicide on your mind. No. So if you tell me a secret and you don't believe that I'm going to keep it, you're going to kill me. Ah. And I don't need it. Well, tell me about it, huh? Right? I'm telling you about well, it right now. Well, you now. know what? And that's my thing. Stupidest part of the crime. Don't tell anybody any of this stuff because it, it comes back to bite you in the ass. Remember I always said, if you're going to do something like this, don't tell anybody. Because how many cases have we done where people, you know, tell? People mm-hmm. will tell. Like, you know, when it comes to murder, like, you really can't do secrets like that. Because even a good friend is going to tell. And if you are a true friend in the yeah. criminal criminal world. Yeah. And your friend, you are aware that is not trying to live that life. Yeah. And that's why they say it like that. You're not about that life. Yeah. Then don't tell them. Right. The reason is, is they have the plausible deniability and they're still your friends. Yeah. Exactly. Because I always think, like, can you imagine, like, somebody sitting in prison and, like, the anger they have that their friend, like... <laughs> said something and i'm like but that's your fault because you told him right but simultaneously like, they think you said something yeah and then people like me who would have if i had a friend like you or a lot of people that you know end up with mafia uh you know because i think you'd be on a, you'd be on some syndicate killing level oh no no uh, you'd no. be thorough uh but people end up dying because of the fact that it is not that they would even tell but it's just because a person believes that they know a little bit too much information yeah that's what it is and you become a spin boy at that point mm-hmm. because yeah I always said I wouldn't hang out with the mob because it's like if you're not them, like you you have to go, like you know what I mean, because you know too much, right? Right. Oh hell no. So another friend, Noah Walton, told detectives that Riley asked him how to get fingerprints off of a gun. So he said that he was asking for his roommate, 
But his friend told him, he said, obviously not to ever ask me something like that again. So that's what we was just talking about. He should have asked you. Well, that's just common sense. You said you don't get involved in the mob. I believe you're already in the mob. Because you know too much. Well, I'm just saying, that's just common sense. Like, everybody knows how to, like, wipe the fingerprints down or use gloves so you don't get fingerprints. Do they? Does everyone know how to get rid of fingerprints? Well, I'm sure everybody, like, like, what? Are you using your real hands to shoot the gun? Mm, mm, mm. That's a, tell them how to be a professional criminal well, ninja. I'll just say tell them. Why don't people use gloves? Because you know there's like gunpowder residue too that gets on your hands. Mm-hmm. CSI. <laughs> so, and so basically he told he told him that it was for his roommate, but he still thought that that was weird. You know what I mean? So he wanted to get rid of the gun. You know, he also wanted to get rid of the gun as well. So his friends ended up going to the police. And the detectives brought Riley in for questioning on Monday about his whereabouts for the previous 72 hours. Riley said that he had spent his Friday night at his friend Noah Walton's house. And this was a two-hour police interrogation. And that it struck them as weird because Riley didn't refer to Emma Walker by name. He just kept calling her the girl. Like, for example, he would say, the girl, she texted me. And then the detective Merritt would ask, which girl? And Riley would just say the one that passed away. So he was like completely kind of zoned out about it. Mm. Now, Detective James Hurst told 2020, when I first met Riley, I thought that he might have been a grieving boyfriend. When we got into the interview room and sat down, I felt like there was a dark side. He didn't have a whole lot of passion or concern at all. Now, Riley told detectives that he had been trying to speak with Emma that weekend, but she wouldn't engage with him. And he also said that she asked him to help her write a paper. And he said that she said that if he would help her write it, she would talk to him. That's what Raleigh told the detectives. And Sunday night, he said he used one of his friend's phones on campus to call her. He said that their phone call did not go well. And she just told him a bunch of cruel stuff and blocked his friend's number. Afterward, Riley told detectives that he went over to his grandparents' house briefly, and then he drove back to his college, and once there, he said he sat in his car and broke down and cried for two to three hours over breaking up with Emma again. But as, you know, the detectives noticed that he was very emotionless when he was describing all of this, and his interview was very disconnected from the victim. So he said I mean, that crying for two hours without you know without a sandwich break or a blunt. Or yeah, I've just... never cried for two to three hours straight. I mean, I yeah, that, that doesn't even. Sound well, you like... don't. You you're soulless. You don't really <laughs> care about humans that much at all. Oh my! <laughs> so I mean, I could imagine someone taking your girlfriend, chopping her up in pieces, and you you cry for fifteen minutes, and then you'd ask for the, the uh, life insurance information. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, you just need a break or something. You didn't need a burger. You didn't, you know, <laughs> go get a blunt. Maybe you can get some drink. Like, if you feeling that bad. <laughs> so at this point, the detectives said that they knew from his friend, Alex McCarthy, that Riley has showed his friend his grandfather's gun. And... So Riley's grandfather, father who had kept the gun in his car, reported the nine millimeter handgun missing prior to Riley being questioned. So when the detectives asked Riley about the gun, he told them he didn't know where it was. He denied showing it to his friend Alex, and he also denied asking Noah about removing fingerprints from a gun as well. Then the detectives asked to see his cell phone, and Riley asked them if he was a suspect, in which the detectives then said, well, should you be? 
But Riley. That's could, how they answer even to the parents, though. Yeah. The yeah. Texans are jerks like that. Yeah. Well, at least to, to black people. Yeah. <laughs> like, Texans, you, you can call them and they're going to be like, should I think of you as a criminal? Like, <laughs> I called you. Yeah. Like, can I get your fingerprints? Please call like, him no. and put his, put his stuff in. It's right. until your stuff runs through that it's clear that they talk to you like you're a human being. Mm-hmm. But until then, like, you, you, even the caller, are a suspect. As Dave Chappelle said, I've seen this happen. They bring yeah. into people's house and put the pictures of themselves all over the wall. Yeah. Like, it's exactly like, <laughs> I'm like that. Does bro. that really happen? Does people break in the house and then put their pictures up? Like, the coldest I, part I is if you that. talk to a cop, it happens often. Never, <laughs> not, not anybody I know, I've never heard anybody right. say they do that. But cops act like that's an everyday occurrence. Because that's like, I'm not putting my own pictures up. It's something that I'm robbing. That just doesn't sound smart. But hey, if it happens, it happens. Right. But, <laughs> But Riley continued to deny anything having to do with Emma's death, of course. So when Riley left the sheriff's office, Alex McCarthy said that he started getting text messages from him asking why he had told the police about the gun. In his text messages, Riley asked his friends not to speak to the police anymore. So he said, Noah, his friend Noah said that he was seriously on edge at this point. So thinking that Riley was lying to the authorities, his friend um Alex McCarthy and Noah Walton then collaborated with the police to help them set a trap. So what happened was on Tuesday night, just one day after Emma's murder, the detectives wired the two teens up with microphones, a transmitter where the police could listen in, and a video camera hidden in a key fob. And they planned out a sting operation to recover the potential murder weapon at that point. So the two young That's so clever that I wish the cops wouldn't even reveal that a hidden camera and a key fob. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, that's really clever. You know, I heard one, uh, there was a case, and I, I wish I could remember the case because I wanted to go over it, but the guy actually hid a hidden camera in the Red Bull can. Like, it was crazy. Right? Like, some uh, of the yeah. stuff y'all shouldn't tell us. Yeah. Because like, now pe- people are going to be paranoid. Like, I'm not looking out for your key fob, I'm going to be stomping yeah. your keys out. Man. Yeah. Like, don't you bring them keys around me, punk. <laughs> or that Red Bull smacking out of people's hands. Right. Like, paranoid. They're paranoid as hell. So the two friends had contacted the police and asked them, you know, if they could help get what they believed was the murder weapon back. Because, and the police was concerned for their safety, but they said that they want to do this. They understood the dangers of being what's called a snitch, but they wanted to do it because they wanted to, you know, get justice for Emma. That was what they were worried about. How did they understand the dangers of being called a snitch? Where are they from? Where did this all start? Well, this from? happened in Tennessee. This was in Tennessee, in Knoxville, what city Ten- in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh-huh. It, so. it, was it in the, the gang area? Mm-hmm. <laughs> were you guys were you guys on the wrong side of the tracks there? <laughs> you know the consequences of snitching there, you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Calm the hell down. <laughs> well, and the crazy You run deep in the streets there, hmm? Well, the crazy thing is... You know, a lot of people that's getting into other stuff there. Hmm. Well, the craziest thing was, it was actually the police that was, like, concerned with their safety. They wasn't, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be a snitch. It was the police that was like, you understand that there's dangers with this? And they was like, yeah, we understand. You know what I mean? It was like that. That's that's actually sad. The cops should not have been the ones that brought that up. Yeah. You, like, Takashi69, even though he finally got jumped in the doggone jam yeah and it was the crazy part it was a white guy that's why i'm like the white guy is a gangster <laughs> they're out there doing some stuff man <laughs> like the cops you didn't get caught up by no hood guy that was black with dreads it was a white dude with a beard that was married that stomped your ass out in the bathroom oh like 
So, because you just, after a while, anybody just like, you're so tough, brother, just going to challenge you. That's just man testosterone type of thing. Yeah. Don't enter the world, girls. If you want to enter it, you want to call yourself a man, it's it's a really rough neck world. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why small guys, I told you before, small guys don't never pick on big buff guys. Yeah. Little women can talk hella shit to a big buff man, but you never see that man to man. Yeah. Why? Because that little man know he's about to get Debo punched. Yeah. Like that's my bike punch. He's about to get uppercutted like it was a like it was a Mortal Kombat video. Game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's real talk. Yeah. Because he's not gonna hold back. He's not gonna look at the fact that you only weigh 110 pounds and he weighs 275 pounds. You are now a man. It's a quote unquote equal ground. Yeah. And he will rip you apart. Yeah. And you better be aware of that. You gotta be ready. But <laughs> I just just saying, I just think it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It is just coming this whole full circle. Go ahead though. So basically, this is how it went down. So they invited Riley to Noah's house to play video games. They pointed the hidden camera at the couch by where Riley was gonna be sitting. And so they, you know, they started coercing him to talk about it. And he just kept saying, you know, that he felt like Emma killed herself. And, you know, people that understood the situation said she either killed herself because of me or because of her parents. And their, her, their, his friends kept saying, but she didn't kill herself, you know. So at that point, he started then coaching his two friends on what to say to the police. He said, just say that you were on LSD and you were drunk and that you didn't know kind of what you were saying to the police. And Noah then at that point said, okay, sure, bro. I didn't, my bad. I didn't know that I was going to get you in trouble. That's what he said. So Riley then suggested that they go to the Bluffs, which is a wooded area near the Tennessee River, to get rid of the guns. This sounds like this is going to be a Justin Timberlake movie. (laughs) And then someone gets shot after you take that little kid up there. (laughs) So, So at that point, they all got in Alex's car. They then drove to Riley's stepdad's house because Riley said that he had hidden the gun in the basement at that point. So... Alex and Noah both tried to convince him to show him the gun, but he said no. He went into the he went into the house. He got the gun. He pulled it out. It was in a trash bag, a black trash bag. And then they again asked, "Hey, can we see the gun?" And he said, "No, the gun's in here, but you can't see it." They tried to play it off. They all told jokes. They sang along with the radio. They stopped to get something to eat. The whole time, police was following them in undercover vehicles. The boys then pulled in front of an apartment complex and Riley started putting some white gloves on because he was about to get rid of the gun. So at that point, Noah Walton started texting the police, letting them know that they haven't actually physically seen the gun yet, but the gun was in the car in a bag. Riley finally pulled the gun out because he was going to go, you know, into the woods and get rid of it. And then Alex said, oh my gosh, that's a real gun. And, And Noah said the code word. And at that point, the police swooped in. So when Riley had put the, at that point, Riley had put the gloves on. He was getting ready to throw the gun out. So the Operation Sting was a success. Riley right. was arrested. His, his code word had to be like a phrase. No yeah, I didn't know what the, yeah, I didn't know what the phrase was. But yeah, Riley got arrested at, at that point. And in like, a, I like the Cleveland Browns. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> Just ran, said I that always sentence. wonder what, yeah, what the code word is. <laughs> what would your code word be for the police to come? That's exactly it. I like the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. Like, what do you, what? what? It's just, it was just, because there's no way anybody ever does. Yeah. Or, or be like, hey, 
COVID is something that we all need. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, so everybody be like, this is a scam. Yeah. Like, you know that's an odd sentence. But that is an odd sentence. But the crazy thing is, once you hear that odd sentence, you have time to think about, like, why are you saying that the police is already swooping down on you? That's the crazy part about it. You think, yeah, like, no, you're the no, person getting arrested. Right, no, real cold are sentences weird? are, like, something yeah. that's normal but odd. Yeah. But it's, like, normal where they say something like, well, that's not, uh, what, well, they say something like, well, that's my favorite toy. You know, something yeah. like that, or you're so cool, man, for that gun. You yeah. That, I th- it, well, I'm saying this in believing, because mm-hmm. I've never been on a sting. I know. But I just believe. I think it would be pretty cool now, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I just, at least to hit a code word. Because I want to come out on the code word. I, I want to be waiting yeah. for that sentence. Because I know you guys are all like energy ready yeah. popping. Everybody's kind of under there and hustle. hustle. Yeah. And he says, and the spider goes boom. And yeah. everybody just runs the fuck out. Like, yeah, motherfucker. Like, yeah. It was the spider goes boom. I should have knew he was saying something crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, it, and you know, it was, it was a whole bunch of police. Because when they arrest somebody for a murder, it's like everybody. The police swarms in. That, and you know what it is? Is to that criminal, everyone remembers that last sentence. Whatever uh, you said, even if it was normal. Yeah. Even if you'd be like, I like mayo on my sub sandwich. Like, even if it was normal, everyone remembers that sentence right before the cops bust the hell out. Oh, in. yeah. That was the sentence that got him arrested. That's what I'll remember for the rest of my life. Right? Like, you kind of looked over. You you always like, what was that? Like, you yeah. know, like, at least that's what I've seen in movies. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, snap. Like, the stuff pops off. So it must be a, at least the movies are not disappointed. But it has to be a cool-ass sentence. Yeah. So where now the cops come in. Mm-hmm. And they be like, free. Right? That's mad. Everybody, that's crazy. I couldn't even imagine that. I would hate those words my whole life while I'm in prison. Right? It's the eye of the tiger, bitches. Yeah. You know, like, something like that is hella cool. Like, oh, it's the eye of the tiger. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in addition to the. I'd have to audition for different lines. We're like, we got to use a different. Like, cops will hate me. I'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, that's not cool enough. We got to use a different line. I know. Line. You spent like an hour trying to audition line. Right? Like, no, no, give me another one. Give me another one. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I like number twelve. Twelve was a good one, man. I like that one. <laughs> so when I said I'm cool, <laughs> now in addition to the gun, the police recovered recovered what they believed to be a whole bunch of evidence, including the gloves, the black clothing, which definitely says that Riley was definitely the man in black that day, who uh, went to Emma's door. And in 2017, Riley was indicted on charges of first degree murder aggravated stalking, theft, tampering with evidence, reckless endangerment, felony murder, employing a firearm during a dangerous felony. That's a lot of charges. Mm, mm, mm. At his trial in May 18, 2018, uh, uh, Riley's defense attorney argued in court that he never meant to kill Walker. He said that, you know, he fired the gun basically to try to scare her and get her attention. So it goes back to what you were saying, that his defense and his argument was he was not trying to fire the gun to kill her. He just wanted to do all the things that, like he had been doing. He pretended like he got kidnapped. He was a guy in black stalking her so that she would have to, like, call him. So these are all things he was doing to get her attention. That was the defense. It seems like you're a girl that likes a guy that does intense things, too. That's why I was saying that leading to that, Mm -hmm. even before, is... This is what I was saying before, before, what I'm saying. People say, quote, unquote, about that life. Yeah. There are a lot of, and a majority of the people that are not living that life with the quote still in the air because it, it is a certain 
lifestyle in which people have committed themselves to. It's like the same reason why you wouldn't mess with a mafia member. Uh-huh. If you ever ran into an actual mafia member or an actual member of the Yakuza or an actual D-boy is what they call it, uh-huh. you know, like guys who really are dedicated uh-huh. to being on the, the, the obtuse side of the law, they are not like you see on movies and you know some of them are extremely smart too that's what makes it scary mm-hmm. um they're not flamboyant they're not they're not throwing things out there there's the people that are they that are hollywood taught us what i, uh, I say how i say a lot of the times mm-hmm. you know even rap hot rap is hollywood too mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are taught like what they hear in rap music and what have you if takashi 69 even is one of the best examples if takashi 69 was really as flamboyant and out there as he was why would he need police protection? Mm-hmm. You know, he, yeah. he's he's very aware yeah. that he's not that guy who can, you know, have people hit and who can have things done because of the fact that now he's under too much surveillance. He's he's not able, even if he it was about that life at one point in time, mm-hmm. he's exposed himself way too much that he cannot be. Mm-hmm. He factually cannot be about that life. Mm-hmm. He's just, a, just a, an informant of the things that was before and, of course, is going to adjust to it. So... When you have kids, a lot of these kids who are living in that interaction of thinking of the non-recourse of of mm-hmm. them pretending, or well, I wouldn't even say pretending, them desiring to be there. Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't even say they're pretending. They desire it so much because of them not running into a lot of people that they have an interaction with. Yeah. Usually because of the level that you're in, you're not going to get a good pay. You're not going to really get a good cut. And a lot of the times, you're the expendable one. Uh-huh. So you got to f- cross a fine line yeah. on getting past that expendable level. Uh-huh. To uh-huh. Where it's, it's a very dangerous world in yeah. which people live in because of the, the, the probabilities of being caught. And yeah. everybody's number one resource is they don't want to get caught. And so they'll sacrifice a lot of things uh-huh. to not get caught. Yeah. So that's what, that's what I'm looking at it, and it's your recourse mm-hmm. of you guys. Honestly, looking it sounded more and more that you guys wanted to have that look. You wanted to say you don't do you don't talk to snitch you don't be snitching, but you're probably like a middle class family. Yeah, you know, like snitching is your benefit because of the fact that you don't have the recourse of the quote unquote streets. People say the streets. As almost in a rap lyric, but that means that you are known in your community. Yeah. For something that you, you're a known drug leader. You know, you're mm-hmm. a known pimp. Yeah. You have established that in the people that are around you yeah. and in that circle. You know, that's why mm-hmm. uh, things that I grew up with is what is what is understood doesn't need to be said. Yeah. I grew up in the Bay and we say that a lot. What's mm-hmm. understood doesn't need to be said. Yeah. So someone who's real pimping. No one, he doesn't ever say he's real pimping. Yeah. He doesn't ever say he's a pimp. Mm-hmm. That's the craziest thing. The highest level pimps never say they're pimps. Yeah. Because what's understood doesn't need to be said. You know he's a pimp. Yeah. And why would he incriminate himself? Like right. A fool it was, yeah. it was a and crit- start right. saying he's pimping. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Well, this was what the defense attorney said. Um, the, uh, by the way, Raleigh Gall was the, he was represented by Wesley Stone, who's a defense attorney. And he said he never intended to cause her harm, never intended to cause her death. 
and consistent with her reaching out to Riley regarding events Saturday morning, he was attempting to get her to ask him for help again, sort of to be her protector. It's been in his heart. It's been in his mind. It's been in just about everything about him. Every day for the rest of his life, wherever that may be, he will have to live with that reality. And so this is what, you know, his defense attorney was arguing at court. Now, also, for a while, Raleigh had denied being the mysterious guy in black, but, you know, at some point he did admit to it because that went to his defense. You know, he had to, you know, admit to everything that he did up to it because that was, you know, his defense as far as he was just kind of reaching out to her for attention. The prosecution, on the other hand, argued that Riley was obsessed with Emma and couldn't take it when they broke up. The two were talking and texting into the morning before her death. And the other attorney, the assistant attorney general, General Kevin Allen, said that he was possessive, controlling, and toxic, and that this was not an accident. They said that evidence from the crime scene suggested that Emma had died instantly. Detective Captain Brad Park, hold on, I'm sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> Just one moment. So Detective Captain Brad Park stated that the second bullet hit a wooden stud in the wall, which altered its path. But the bullet holes and shell casings suggested that the gun was fired four to five feet from the house directly at Emma's bedroom window. The direct location and orientation is where her head would be. And anyone who had been in her room before would have known that fact. So there was also scuff marks on the backyard fence that indicated that the shooter jumped the fence. And he had bragged to, in text messages to Emma about how easy it would have been to jump the fence as well. So Jill Walker, which was Emma's mother, testified in court that she did not like the way he talked to her. And after monitoring her social media accounts, that's when she said that she needs to call it quits. Emma's friends also testified against Raleigh that she had received multiple calls from unknown numbers that night. And she had saw someone standing at the end of the driveway, at the end of her friend's driveway as well. The night of the party, it was Raleigh Gall. He admitted to stealing his grandfather's gun, which, like I said, I don't know, like, I don't know if you're going to switch cars with somebody, maybe you should take your gun. I don't know. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea <laughs> to have the gun, but maybe he forgot it was under there. I don't know. There's but, another thing. Well, right. At the end of the day, the, the weapon that's going to be used for interaction should not ever be touched again. It yeah. should be brought for a purpose and should have an ending purpose at the same time. Mm -hmm. if, the, if disposing of the body and disposing of the gun are equally important. Mm -hmm. Yes. So now Emma's dad actually took the stand, Mark Walker, and he said that he woke up on the morning of November 21st and he did hear a gunshot, but he said he wasn't sure if it was a gunshot, but or if it was a door slamming. So he, but he did get out of his bed. That is someone that really doesn't know what a gunshot sounds like. <laughs> yeah, he was half asleep. I mean, but he, five, and it's, it's according to the thing, it's five <laughs> feet from his house. Yeah, so... So he said that he got up, he looked around, he even peeked into her room and he looked and she just looked like she was sleeping. You know, I guess, you know, how you look in your kid's room and it's just a lump in the bed. And so he just closed the door back. And so a neighbor also reported hearing two gunshots at 2.30 a.m. Now, Riley's cell phone data showed that he drove from his college and he was in that area about 3.45 a.m. And he stated that he did talk to Emma at midnight. She told him to never call her again. And he had spent the next few hours crying in his car. And then he went to bed at 4.45 a.m. 
Now, Riley had a roommate named Stan Walker Stanley, and he stated that Riley, he did notice that Riley had been out all night the night of Emma's murder. Hours before his her death, he had asked him also how to remove fingerprints from a gun. And he was like, you know, I don't know, but he was like, I, I really don't want to talk about that. And he did mention to say that, <clears throat> that they weren't friends. They were just roommates, you know, that they had gotten to be roommates during college. But he said that there was something always off about him. That's what he said. So Stanley said that he woke him up for class the next morning. Raleigh went in the bathroom. And when he came back out, Raleigh told him that his mom had called and told him that they had found Emma hurt. According to the investigator, David Wise Riley, he acted like he didn't know anything at all about it because Wise ended up going out to Riley Gall's house that morning because the grandfather had reported the guns up stolen. <coughs> so, so basically, and he was, you know, worried that Riley was going to commit suicide. So Wise testified that he thought Riley knew that Emma had died because he told him sorry about Emma. And he, and so Riley was like, well, gone, where does she go? And so that kind of went back to the defense's point of he didn't know that he had actually killed her. He thought he had just shot through the, you know, the, the, um, the window or the wall and nothing had happened at but that he, point. As That's, I asked before, there was no window breaking. He yeah, there was no window broken. It window. went through the wall. So that was the whole thing. And the defense attorney didn't call any attention, any witnesses, but in the closing arguments, they reiterated he was just trying to get her attention. He was not trying to kill her. He was trying to kill her, you just shoot through the window. You yeah. can see her directly. Yeah, I think what really goes against him is because the way that he shot, he shot directly where her head would have been laying at. But Well, a lot of people like to think... You, we're, in a, we're in a generation... Well, I, I'll let... I, well, I'm not going to let you finish. Yeah, yeah. We're in the generation of anime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're in a generation of where people really believe they can see a punch coming. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can believe, and you can turn your head and look back over there, and then and then think of a thought like, you know, back when my father and then have a whole relapse, and there's a whole episode while punch is coming. Yeah, they really believe that in their own minds that they can control the interactions like that. Yeah, some things. Yeah, um, it's a childish way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I was on a boxing team. Yeah, you know, and I've actually studied multiple martial arts as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about doing MMA. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rowdy like these guys. Those guys are real. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just know enough to sit here and do it. I will say the self defense, and then I add a lot of dirty tactics because of the way I was taught from a military stepfather. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had two stepfathers from the Marines, and they was like, "Bro, this is how real war is." Yeah. And so it kind of made me not want to interact with it because I was just like, God, this can get kind of gruesome, yeah. man. You know? Um, but what I will say is it doesn't... There's still... Because I remember talking smack to one of my friends after that. I, this is when I was uh, in college, too. Talking about one of my friends, his father. His father was an old Asian guy, Filipino. Mm-hmm. That knew Taekwondo, and he was like a master. He mm-hmm. was like a ninth degree master. Mm-hmm. He was the one of those that was trying to on some Ipmon stuff, trying to become a grandmaster type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And in the real world of fighting, and this is boxers will tell you this all the time, when someone's hurting you, you don't really understand where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. When it's actually happening, you don't see their blow. The most deadly, the, the, not, the most knockouts that ever happened in boxing history is the is the punch nobody sees. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh, what you don't see can't hurt you? No, in boxing, what you don't see will knock you to freak out. Yeah. 
that punch you didn't see coming blows you down. Mm. It's really because your body wasn't expecting it. Yeah. And you had no brace for it, and so it hits you the hardest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you're in that interaction and someone's doing some type of move, what have you, is really after the fact that your body realizes it. Yeah. So you don't see stuff in slow motion. Why am I saying all that? Mm-hmm. Is Because I believe he had a handle on it. Yeah. I believe he felt like he, and from the other things he was saying before, is been kidnapped. These guys are here. He's trying to show text messages of doing something bad to him. Yeah. He wants to scare you. Mm-hmm. As I said, if he wanted to kill you, he'd shoot through the window because he can really get a clear shot. Yeah. He felt like he had calculated enough where you would wake up at night and see a bullet hole like inches from oh, your yeah. head. Damn. And be like, oh my God, he's right. You yeah. Know, he's, and they have to call him again like she did with the with him standing wet, outside. As night. he had yeah. set up an incident before. Yeah. He's setting up incidents where you need him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like Hitch. Yeah. You know, he's setting up these incidents yeah. where you need him. Yeah. So he felt that that was going to be one of those incidents where he needed one of those things ricocheted off of something mm-hmm. that he did not anticipate. Damn. And it hit her in the head. Well, this is not, yeah. Well, that was an expensive lesson for him. Um, because after five hours of deliberation, jurors found Riley, at this time he was 19 years old, guilty of first-degree mu- murder as well as stalking, theft, reckless endangerment, and being in possession of a firearm during a dangerous First-degree is like non-intentional? No, first-degree is the worst murder you can get. That's intentional. The man He would have got manslaughter. So, right, yeah, he, he should have got, got something yeah, like non-intentional. Get, yeah, he got the first-degree murder. They felt like he intended to do that, to, to, to bring the gun over there and kill him. Yeah, kill I don't him. that. So, in the state of Tennessee, a first-degree murder conviction carries an automatic life sentence. So, he was 19. He won't be eligible for parole until he's um, till 51 years. So, he'll be in his 70s by the time he gets parole. So, at his... excessive. Yeah. You no, know, I believe. I believe I believe probation should be longer and sentences should be shorter. It actually gives more workers for people. Yeah. Being probationary officers going out and checking on people and over a certain number of people that they do. And I feel like people live better in that time. But... Sentencing, that's, 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 you know, and it was, it was, honestly, it almost fit because that's, that's a bad mistake. It was, it was, you know what, it was a horrible mistake. And, and, you know, that, I was just, you know, and now now you see why I said a lot of people is just divided on this case because you have half the people that think he did it on purpose. The other half that thinks he did it on acid. He was just trying to get her, you know, attention. At first I was kind of on the other end where I was like, okay, I feel like, at first I felt like he did it on purpose. And the reason was because it was two gunshots and, you know, it was by her head. But then when I'm looking at it, I was like, but then he set up the other incident to where she needed him, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, Either way, it just wasn't worth it. I know that it, to her parents and her family, it probably doesn't matter what he intended to do. I mean, she's still you got to but... also think about, this is what I think of it. You said it was two gunshots, and I say it was two gunshots. Yeah. We both say it in a different tone. Yeah. Is this man fired two shots and no one else in the house got hit. Yeah. In a one-story house. Right. So Nobody, yeah. he was trying to aim yeah. to not hurt anybody else too. Bullets, <clears throat> bullets aren't like movies. I love John Wick for the things that 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 uh that um Keanu Reeves does. Mm-hmm. I love. I mean, I'm, I love the fact that he's he's bringing back like old school action. Yeah, like Commando, and uh, he's he's kind of bullying his way yeah. into being like uh like the new Arnold Schwarzenegger, non buff, and giving us the action. But I don't like. 
the fact that you are shooting in a crowded area, mm-hmm. and he does it a lot. If you watch, if you watch John Wick movies, I know you haven't seen any of them. Mm-mm. You just look like the type of person I can look in your eyes. <laughs> <clears throat> but it is a huge, huge, huge uh, genre um, that stemmed a whole lot of things. But the point is, is that I, I, you know, I, I was an armed guard for a number of years. I was a private armed guard for a number of years. I was studying to become a sheriff for a number of years mm. as well, and I, you know, decided against it. Just because, you know, there's the interaction of politics with the people and I just mm-hmm, didn't mm-hmm. want to conform in that way. But the right. point is, is that I know ballistics of bullets. This, this is just basic ballistics. Yeah. Whatever nine millimeter you have, even if it's a hollow point, even if it's the lowest grain, mm-hmm. you shooting someone point blank, especially in something like the head, um, is not going to not travel. Mm-hmm. that's why I was saying I don't like John Wick in that sense I love John Wick and all the actions but he flat out he'd be in a crowded area he flat out be unloading a clip on a guy that's less than five feet from him and nobody behind that guy gets shot yeah that's not realistic mm-hmm. that's not realistic yeah like an honest shooter yeah knows that yeah, so why I'm saying that is because of him being a shooter mm-hmm. he's aware of hurt zones yeah so uh, being a one-story place, there's a lot of angles that you could have shot and you would have hit a couple of their family members. Mm-hmm. But he didn't shoot those angles. Yeah. Because a bullet's not going to stop. Even if he it was intended to hit her. Yeah. But a bullet's not going to stop a majority of the time mm-hmm. and just somebody. That's why it's called an entry wound and a... An exit wound. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Everyone knows it's exiting out that body. No yeah. one, I will say those who do understand the ballistics. Yeah. Yeah, well. So the fact that no one else got hurt mm-hmm. in a one story building and these shots was in no other zone for anybody else to be hurt. Yeah. Makes me believe that he was doing it as warning shots that went wrong. Yeah, went horribly wrong. Well, he did say at his sentencing hearing, um, he said that he apologized to the Walkers for killing their daughter. And he stuck by the defense that it was an accidental shooting. And his words were, I'm sorry I took Emma away from you, that I robbed you of the experience of watching your daughter grow up. What I can do, what I can do is tell you the truth about that night. I wanted to scare her. I never meant to take Emma's life. Again, I'm so sorry. So on September 2018, it was determined that he would not serve extra time for those additional convictions. So he he's only doing the time for they're not sitting he's only doing the first degree murder ones all the other ones they they drop because they say he already is given a life sentence so he was denied a retrial in 2021 due to the lack of evidence so he filed a motion for acquittal or a retrial but it's stuck so he's not getting parole until after 51 years now um now with the justice served for emma walker's death her mother hopes that what happened to her daughter can also serve as a warning to others who may, who also may be in abusive relationships. And since her death, the Emma Walker's family has tried to keep her legacy alive. Her mother said that since she loved animals and she wanted to be a nurse, the family has gotten a dog park at a NICU patient room at the East Tennessee Children's Hospital named after her. And it's all the things that are that are a part of Emma and all mean something said Jill Walker. And she added that she hopes that people remember her by being kind to others because her daughter was super kind. And so I think it should be definitely something where this should be a beginning of awakening Mm -hmm. of it's okay to want to date somebody who's not about that life. It's okay to not want to be hip hop gangster. Yeah. 
um, is okay because not and not even every black person in the black community is about that life. Mm-hmm. Like you guys, it it seems very one dimensional how yeah. it's looked at as the as the brown community to think that everybody's everybody's in the hip hop, everybody's listening to Lil Wayne, everybody's listening to Little Dirk. It's very one dimensional to believe that all of us think like that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> seriously though, it's yeah. like in a non amusing way. Um, when it is perpetuated, and that's one of the things I feel like it, this is this one is a double yeah. sword. I feel like because if he didn't hit her, yeah, they'd probably be together right now. That's the scary part. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't even think about that. And it's it's really this. She kept calling him. She kept yeah, being back. She would not listen to the parents. Yeah, yeah. If he did not hit her, they'd be together right now. That's yeah, because they have one of those toxic loves. That's what you mm-hmm. call it. And I feel like this whole this case is really sad to me because it was two lives wasted. Her life was wasted, and I mean his life was wasted. He was nineteen. He ain't getting out till he's in his seventies. I mean, and that's because you don't always get parole your first time you go right. up. That's if you get it. So it's just like your whole life was wasted over something that you know that she was what a junior in high school and he was in college. It was like freshman year. Yeah. Just got to he was he was still he was still a baby of of college. Yeah, I call them old freshmen. I call them old seniors. Yeah, old high school seniors right. is what I call college freshmen. Yeah, that's sad. So two lives was wasted, and it's it, it's not coming back. Oh, it was just a love and interaction of yeah. over passion. Mm-hmm. They both had over passion for each other's interaction. None of it being condoned or reeled in, yeah, and being perpetuated and and actually, um, what people would say, instigated in a less of a less of a better lack of a better word, yeah. But believing that this is acceptable interaction, yeah. like, and she called him and going against the parents, knowing that the parents said he can't be here, and she's like, I don't know who else to call but you, and she keep kept putting her in situations. Where she felt like she would need that. Yeah. Desiring that. That's yeah. what she wanted too though. Yeah. And he kept trying to be that. Playing this character like Hitch is what I was saying before. And yeah. and her perpetuating him to be more and more and like that. It'd be surprised how many women drive more men that are not actually gangsters to try and be more gangsters just to be just to impress the woman that they want and or be with the woman that they want. Yeah. So this was a lot of that. It was what I see. And I and in the show notes I will link some Stuff for, you know, domestic violence, resources, and stuff like that in this show. You know what I'm thinking? I think it really went bad for him that he had so much other, you know, threats. And the fact that he had made all those other threats. Because I think that if he wouldn't have already had a history of stalking and uh, doing the threats, especially the one that said you're dead to me. I mean, I think he could have had a good chance at manslaughter. That's what I think. I think that that really, you know, went against him. And that's why he had the first degree murder because he just had too much evidence piled up against him. And the other thing was, I'm surprised that he was still even worried about his high school girlfriend. I mean, that's what most couples break up for is because one person went off to college. I'm like, didn't he have any other young, new college, you know, girls that he could have talked to? There's all kinds of different flavors. And yeah, that just is confusing right there. What I'm saying with all that is more people, not just women. It is a role in which you decide on your interaction and relationship. Someone needs to be the Barack. Someone needs to be the Michelle. Someone needs to be Clinton. Someone needs to be Hillary. We need more Michelle Obamas. We need more Hillary Clintons. That goes beyond sex is what I'm saying. It's because mm-hmm. there's a dynamic in which you have in relationships yeah. that are same sex. 
Yeah. And it is still the dynamic that you have of somebody who is the go-getter and there's somebody who is the supporter. Right. You need, we need more people that are actively good supporters and believing and understanding how much that influences yeah. people out there. I agree. It's I the reason why when you go to clubs, they make women dress up more. Yeah. Do you ever notice that? No, I think it's the men because I know because it makes a higher caliber of men come to the building. Yeah, you can't if a, if you put a dress code on the women, then the, they're gonna expect something from the men. Mm-hmm. They don't put a dress code on the men, but they're gonna expect it of mm-hmm. it, and they're gonna look in it and for. It is something that is a catering relationship to one another psychologically. My yeah. thing, I was I was going for my PhD in actual sexual psychology. Marital psychology, because I was wanting to try to restore a lot of people's marriages, and I feel like that has something that has decayed a lot. Yeah, relationships. 50, has what is it? Fifty percent. Fifty-five. Fifty-five percent of marriages end in divorce. In divorce. That's high. That's high. That means it's over, 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 more than half the time. Yeah. Even if it was fifty-fifty, which we all think is scary, honestly. That's still scary, married, but now it's fifty-five. But now it's yeah. not even in your favor. Yeah. You get married, you're probably gonna get divorced. You're probably it gonna get a divorce. Scary. Yeah. And it's this, this is the hope that everyone in America, male and female, are losing yeah. in these things. And it's also simultaneously the expectations of spouses. And expectations are a killer dealer when you go into the world of psychology and relationships. We can talk about that for a whole other thing. That is yeah. deep. There's potential. That's a potential whole other expectations, podcast. all that. But what I'm saying is there needs to be more Michelle Obamas. Mm-hmm. There needs to be more Hillary Clintons. People that are, and even in the brown community, because I feel like the brown community is one of the communities that always try and say, I'm a king, and I'm a king, and I'm a king. And I told you before, if everyone's a king, and a king can't pour his own drink, yeah, right. how is anybody getting drunk? I know, right? So no one's going to respect the role of being the lieutenant, mm. or a prince, or yeah. a duke, or an earl. No one's wanting to be that anymore, to support of something else yeah. bigger. Yeah. And with that is leading a whole lot of isolated crazy issues that's happening with people. Yeah. And people trying to prove themselves beyond of what they are. Mm-hmm. Some people are only dukes, are only earls. And that's okay, bro. Like the Duke of Nottingham got written in books forever in every child's book. You know? Right, yeah, I remember and, that. And yeah. Little Red Riding Hood. But so so and no one even knew who was the king of that. <laughs> There's things that you can be and be of who you are so great that it will be on its own standing in its own world. Yeah. Well, that was a good little tidbit from you. Uh, this was wonderful. Do you know what we're going over next week? Speaking of marriage couples, because that actually goes into the segment of what we're covering next week. Well, I never know what you're coming into. Because you keep telling me you're going to send me an itinerary, and you have yet to ever send me that. Because you know what? I, I'll say I'm doing one case, and then I'll switch it. Because next week, we're going to do Uloma Curry Walker. That's the lady that killed her husband for life insurance money. But the case is wild, and we're going to really dissect it next week. I mean, that sounds okay. But I, you need to give me something fun, like, Oh, you'll see. It's fun. I'm, I'm not giving too much. Somebody is like, you know, 
stewing somebody's brains in a in a in a curry oh, soup. Oh, you want some of that? Well, we have those coming up, but this one's wild, and I thought we should cover it because I'm not even gonna give it. Like it's, it's you crazy. keep covering your friends. You know oh, all these I people. Oh, I do not know. You went out to, the, uh, to Texas and you went out to Tennessee no, last month and all know. this stuff, and you go over here just supporting the guys. You're like, I want him to get out. I was on a dating app with him. Oh hell look, no! Look, we not supporting your friends. Anyways. <laughs> So, so speaking of support, please support our show. Follow us on Instagram, Hot Garbage Show. Follow us on Facebook, Hot Garbage Show. You know, make sure you like and subscribe. Is it Hot Garbage Show? Is that what we call yeah, this? Hot Garbage Show. Yeah. You didn't know what the name of our show was called? I thought it was True Crime's Hot Garbage it's Edition. It's Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. But on Instagram and Facebook, it's Hot Garbage Show. Yeah. Oh. See, if you get on social media, you know these things. Well, if I would, I'd have a voice to change these things. Oh, whatever. Anyway, um, you made me lose my train. Oh, follow us on TikTok. I put little snippets of the show on TikTok, and I'm at Author Nisha. And make sure that you put ratings on our show on Apple or anything like that. We need those ratings, though. Yes, give, give the ratings. highest ratings. Give all them stars. Yes, we need all of that. Even if you don't even know, be like, was that a commercial? Put the stars anyway. Just yes, put the stars. For real. And I think that I'm going to start a Patreon, which I'll be talking to you. Who is soon. Patreon? Patreon. I'll talk to you about it and I'll tell you all about it. This is I don't want to be involved with no gangster like that. No. That's, he sounds too smooth. <laughs> anyway. Patreon I, sounds like an anime gangster. We, like it's going to be an Asian guy with, with white hair no. and even blind to cover his left eye. No. Like, I am Patreon. No, despite like, what Buddha mm. is saying, He's going to be involved in the Patreon. I'll tell you about what the Patreon is. But anyways, in the meantime, take care and watch your back out there.